Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. So if you're able to join us last week, you will recall that we were speaking about how much of what we seek to attain in life is accomplished by fighting against our desires and what we crave for, which in Arabic is known as مجاهدة النفس, to strive against your nafs. And we're talking about how so many things in life, in general, when we go to accomplish them, they require sacrifice and they require effort and, and often tolerance of discomfort. And so today I wanted to kind of expand a little bit on this. Because if we don't understand this point, I really feel as a Muslim community, we will not, we will not as a community move forward and as individuals, we will struggle to grow. And that is the idea that Every one of us has within us what's called a nafs. And that nafs may be the greatest obstacle to your growth. You want to grow in any aspect of your life, the greatest obstacle probably is your nafs. And there's a hadith narrated by Ibn Abbas in the Sunan of Imam al-Bayhaqi that أَعْدَاءَ عدوك or أَعْدَاءَ أعدائك is That the greatest enemy you have in your life is the nafs that you possess within you. And the authenticity of the hadith has been disputed, but the point being that your greatest enemy is within you. The enemy is within. We often externalize the enemy and say these people are the problem and that person is the problem, not realizing within ourselves we have this nafs that's constantly, constantly working against us. And like sabotaging so much of what we're trying to accomplish in our lives. And the only way forward is to tolerate, tolerate the tantrums of our own nafs. And I want to talk a little bit about the idea of the nafs. Because many of you will have heard about purification of the heart. How many of y'all have heard that term? Purification of the heart. And it seems confusing. Like what are we talking about here? Nafs, heart. Um, you've heard of ruh. Ruh. All these terms in Arabic, right? So we're talking about the soul, we're talking about the spirit, we're talking about the heart, and people are confused. Like, generally speaking, what are we talking about here? They all seem somewhat related. And so I wanted to spend a few moments discussing that so maybe we can gain some clarity here. Very often when we say heart, we're talking about all of the inner dimensions of the human being. You know when you say body? You say body, and you're talking about the entire body, but at the same time, you could say body and be referring to like the limbs, the fact that this is a composite human that has limbs. So body is when you're looking at it from the angle of this is a singular entity. It's one thing. But then you could say body parts, and so there's parts to that body. Similarly, we could talk about the heart as a whole, but then we could also discuss the, the composite parts of the nafs. 
uh, sorry, of the heart, the different parts that the heart has. Um, and, and, and so the two that I want to focus on today are the idea that the human being has what's called a ruh, a ruh, and we might translate the ruh as a spirit, but we could also talk about the nafs, and we could translate the nafs in many different ways. One way is as a soul. We could translate it as the ego. We could translate it as that which possesses desires, right? The nafs, the lower self. You ever heard that? The lower self. These different expressions people have. The ruh, the ruh, the spirit, is related to the divine. The ruh, it's related to the divine. We know this from the Quran. Allah Ta'ala speaks about, and every one of us has a ruh, by the way. Allah, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala in the Quran speaks about this. That when the people, when they asked the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam about the ruh, Allah says, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْرُوحِ They ask you about the spirit, the ruh. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ Rabbi. Tell them that the ruh is from the affairs of your Lord, the matters that your Lord alone knows. And you've only been given very little knowledge, especially about the ruh. The ruh, we were all at one point pure spirits. According to the Quranic narrative, there was a time where we were nothing but a spirit. This was when we gave what's, called, what's known as the divine covenant or the grand covenant, primordial covenant where all the souls, all the, all the spirits were gathered, the arwah, in front of Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked every single spirit, everyone, non-Muslims that we know today or Muslims, anybody and everybody. Alastu bi rabbikum, am I not your Lord? This isn't mentioned in the Quran. That God asked every one of those spirits, am I not your Lord? And everybody said, indeed, O Allah, you are our Lord. Then what did Allah do? And the thing is, we know very little about that time. Most people don't even remember what that was like. They have no recollection of it. Even until the point when Allah sent us into the world, gave us a body. Gave us a body. Within the body you have, you know, different limbs and parts. And then you have a heart, you have a nafs now. And now the spirit is not the only thing that you have within you, though it is the original part of who you are. That's why you ever heard this idea that you are not a material being going through a spiritual experience. Rather, you're a spiritual being going through a material experience. You ever heard that? No, no, no one's ever heard that? that that's, that's a very real thing. We are primarily our ruh. Which is why when you pass away, everything else disintegrates and it's gone. You're left with your ruh. You're left with your ruh. Okay, and we literally use the word spirit. So, the ruh, Allah Ta'ala plants it in the human and sends the human into this world. And that's where a lot of us now, that's what we remember. Being young children, right, and growing up. But of course, all that we can remember is being a spirit, but also having a nafs and having a body. We don't really remember what's known as the pre-earthly life. And the scholars have talked about this. If you want to read about, a, about this topic, 
And maybe at some point we can do a series discussing this. There's a book called The Lives of Man. The Lives of Man by Imam Al-Haddad. And he speaks about the different stages that humans go through. Well, The Lives of Man actually speaks about this, human, this earthly life. Actually, now that I, let me correct myself. He speaks about the lives of men, meaning within this life, the different stages you pass through. But we have a book by Mustafa Badawi, um, where he talks about man and the universe. And in there he speaks about all the stages that humans go through. He talks about the pre-earthly life, and then this earthly life, and then the life of the grave, and then the life of resurrection when you stand before God and give your account, and then the life of either being in paradise or in, or in hell. All these different stages he describes. The ruh is spirit. And angels are also purely spirit. Angels do not have a nafs, which is why they're able to obey Allah Ta'ala 20 all the time. The Quran describes the angels as such. They never disobey Allah whenever He commands them, nor do they. And, and they do whatever He tells them to do, whatever they're commanded to do. That's why someone who's very spiritual, how do we describe such a person? They're like angelic in nature, right? They're just so pure. We even talk about purity. Now, so the spirit is connected to the divine, to the, the higher realms of existence. The spirit seeks to transcend, you know, low, lowly experiences in life. You know, that's the idea of transcending just being a human. I don't want to just be like the average human. See, the Qur'an talks about what? That the human being is different than animals. And when the human being fails to live up to their potential, Allah says they're worse than animals. Allah says they're worse than animals. Why would Allah say that? Besides not insulting the animals. Why would Allah describe human beings as being worse than animals when they don't fulfill their purpose and seek higher meaning? Yeah. Yeah, because animals, when you look at their life, they're doing what they're created for. They wake up in the morning and all they're worried about is what? Where am I going to find food? Where am I going to use the washroom? Right? Or... Where am I going to relieve myself? In the washroom, right? Where am I going to relieve myself? Where am I going to find a partner? And then where am I going to sleep? A very simple existence. Here's the scary thing. Does that sound like our lives? No, hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's not. See, look. You know, you know my son? My son is eight years old. What does a good day in the life of an eight-year-old look like? Eight-year-old wakes up, and he's like, imagine he comes to me at the end of the day. And I ask him, how was your day? And he's like, I woke up, and I brushed my teeth. And then I had breakfast. And then I studied. And then I recited Qur'an. And I went, I went outside and played. And I, and I got along, and I played a game with my sister. Did you fight with them? No, I didn't fight with them. We had a really good time. We got along really well. And at nighttime, I even finished my dinner. And I ate my vegetables. And then I went to sleep. I'm about to go to sleep and I just brush my teeth. And what would I tell him? I'm like, good job. That's a good day. No fights with your siblings. You finish your vegetables. You brush your teeth. MashaAllah. Imagine you, third year university. I'm like, yo, how was your day? 
And you tell me that, am I going to be like, yo, that, that's a good day? Look, I get it, man. Sometimes, sometimes life is hard. And sometimes when life is hard, what I just described is actually a good day. I get it. No, we're for real. For some people, when, they go, when they're going through a tough time, to do what I just described can seem almost overwhelming. And we have to acknowledge that. that at times people struggle, and even to do these basic things that I'm describing can be very challenging. But generally speaking, if you're not going through any you know, serious, serious challenge when it comes to your mental health, Hopefully that's not a good day only, right? Hopefully a good day was described as a little bit more than that. Like I actually did my assignments. Like I actually attended class. Like I, I drove my car or I, got, I caught the bus on time. If it was on time, right? Like I did things. I prayed. Do you get it? A good day for a 30-year-old looks very different than a good day for an 8-year-old. A good life for a human looks very different than a good life for an animal. And Allah says, when you fail to live your purpose as a human, you're actually lower than animals. Because at least animals are fulfilling their purpose. You're not even fulfilling your purpose, so you're lower. And that's why humans, subhanAllah, intrinsically, the ruh, the spirit they have within them, it always calls out for more. So long as it's alive. The ruh is open and connected to the divine. We have a nafs on the other side that's connected to this world. And that's why the desires of this nafs are all worldly. Desiring food, desiring... It's very appetitive. It's very um, related to uh, status and prominence and things of this world. It's very lowly in that regard. Does that make sense? The heart is constantly being pulled in one of two directions. Towards the nafs or the ruh. And whichever one you feed more, and whichever one you starve more, that's going to determine the state of your heart. How many of us feed our nafs, but starve our spirit? When we fail to pray, we're starving our spirit. When we fail to look inside and recite the Qur'an, we're starving our spirit. Then it becomes easier for the nafs to pull. It becomes easier for the nafs to pull us towards the world and all of its temptations. That's why, and we'll talk a little bit about this going forward. The nafs has stages it goes through. The lowest stage would be that the nafs is so powerful that you don't even have any spiritual power at all. The Qur'an, when it's recited, nothing. You hear a hadith, doesn't affect nothing. Like the heart is just what? Numb. The, the spirit is suffocated. Nothing seems to get to it. Meanwhile, the nafs is running wild. And so the human being, the nafs, now the nafs is interesting because the word nafs, it comes from the root letters, nun, fa, and sin. And when we look at the meanings of other words in Arabic from the same root letters, we find interesting meanings. For example, when you look at the verbs, you find from the root letters of nun, fa, and sin, you find what's known as from bab karuma, nafusa yanfusu, which means for something to be valuable. That's where you get the word nafis, or someone's name nafisa. It's an idea of being valuable. And so it's a, it's, it's a positive connotation. When the nafs 
is positive. There's, there's a positive side to the nafs. But then you also have what? Nafisa yanfasu. Which means to be lowly. To be lowly in nature. And this is like a negative connotation. Because the nafs can go in both directions. The nafs can be positive. It can serve you. It's because of your nafs that you eat food. That's why you have to have a nafs. Without a nafs, you would have no desire to eat food. You would have no desire to have children, to marry. The nafs, when it's unhealthy, has no desire for life. No desire at all. But then you can also get the nafs that goes to the extreme. When that's all it desires. And it has no spiritual aspiration. Why? Because the spirit's been starved and suffocated. And all it is is the nafs. And, and, and when the nafs functions in the world, in Arabic we have two words, you know, or, or many, but two you know, we can talk about when, when we describe the world. Sometimes we describe the world as alam. Alam, with a fatha. You know, alamin? Alamin is the plural. Alam. We could also describe the world in the, as dunya. Alam comes from the root letters, ayn lamim, which have the root meaning of knowledge but also have a root meaning of, of a sign, alam. That this is like a landmark, alam. Because the alam, it is the world that contains signs to connect us to God. That's if you look at it that way. But then it's the same world that is the cause and the source of all the evil and all the sin that we see. Do you understand? And for that, we could describe the world as the dunya. Because the word dunya comes from that meaning of lowliness or what's just immediately in front of you. The world is both. The world, no one cur- you're not supposed to curse the world. You're not supposed to curse the world. Because it's through the world that you recognize God. If you look at it from that lens. If your nafs is pure enough to approach the world like that. But this very same world can be a means of what? Right? You hear about people who do what? MashaAllah, they give money in charity, they're fasting, they're helping, uh, they're helping in society, volunteering, they're going to the masjid, they're doing so much good in this world. And at the same time you have people who could be up to so many, so many things that are not good in this very world. Because the nafs, the nafs could go in both directions. Let's talk about the stages of the nafs. The Qur'an talks about three different stages the nafs goes through. The nafs being again, your lower self, or your ego, that could be said. We could talk about the nafs as the lowest level, what's known as nafsul ammaratu bisu. The nafs that constantly commands one to do wrong. Do you understand? That when the nafs is powerful, from within, you can get this prompt to go and do something wrong. You're just relaxing, chilling, just, just not, not doing anything wrong. And, and, an, and an evil idea, a sinful idea comes to mind, prompted by the nafs. And when you habituate the nafs to something, then even when shaitan is not whispering, the nafs has its own habits. And that's why in, in Ramadan, when Allah Ta'ala chains up the shayateen, the devils, humans still sin. Because their nafs is habituated to sin. Do you get what I'm saying here? 
See, habits are a beautiful thing. Because if you can build a positive habit, it becomes so much easier to do that good. You're just in the habit. But then habits can also be negative. Because if you develop a negative habit, it can be so hard to leave it. You see how the world is this place of polarity. And this book's written on this too, right? This book's written on this idea of the world being a place of polarity, always between two different things. Okay. The lowest level is what's known as النفسul amaratu bisu, The nafs that prompts a person to commit evil. This is the untrained nafs. This is the nafs that, suffoc that suffocates the spirit. When it is fed, when you feed the nafs, and you suffocate and starve the spirit, then the human being is driven by nafs and nothing but nafs. And then, here's, here's where the real danger comes. Then no or very little religious discourse affects that heart. That you could take this person and they could listen to the most profound talk on spirituality and religion and nothing. It does not affect their heart one bit. It's because the nafs is dominating that heart. And you know when religious discourse fails to reach the heart because the heart is so, you know, clouded by desires? You know what reaches the heart then? Any ideas? When religious discourse, like verses of Qur'an or hadith, don't reach the heart. Because the heart is just so, so dominated by the nafs. What does it take to get to that heart? Do you know? What's one of the main things? Yeah. Dua, okay. Maybe, yeah. But what do we typically see with a lot of people? Hardship. When the language of spirituality does not reach the heart, it will be the language of pain that will reach the heart. And it happens so often. You ever seen people who drift away and drift away and drift away and drift away? And you tell them and you remind them and you call them and you invite them and nothing. They just don't seem to care. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, man, you do your thing. You're like, yo, like seriously, you need to take this seriously. They're like, yeah, whatever, man, like y'all... Do your thing. Until what happens? God forbid, they lose somebody. They go through an experience that just shatters their world. Their heart's broken. You ever heard the saying that a broken heart is an open heart? Now when the heart's broken now, maybe some religious discourse, some words of Allah and His Prophet might reach that heart. Because it's actually a little open now to receiving some message. Prior to that, it was closed off, just guarded by the nafs, and pursuing what the nafs wants. That's why we can't see pain as our enemy. You must look at your pain as your teacher. It will teach you a lot about yourself and about the world around you, if you look at it like that. And if you listen, we talked about this before, but like a lot of us treat our pain as like a... Uh, an alarm, you know, like a fire alarm. When the fire alarm goes off, what are we trying to do here? Besides grab the towel from the kitchen and what else are we trying to do? We're just trying to shut the noise off. We don't want to hear that noise. It's annoying. And when we go through pain, we don't want to listen to the pain and say like, okay, what's wrong? We just want to, we want the pain to stop. And we're not ready to listen to the lesson of that pain. This is important to understand. Because maybe, maybe, 
When the language of spirituality was not reaching our hearts, it would take the language of pain to open our hearts and be more receptive to these realities. Because maybe that's how strong the nafs has become. Because in times of pain, you don't really desire the world. You, get, you ever seen that? Because you're so focused on your pain, you can't focus on like enjoying something. The pain's too strong. And so the nafs is forcibly starved because of that pain. Okay, that's like the lowest level. And that's where you see a lot of people, remember I was saying in pain, they actually become receptive. They're like, hey, sorry, you remember you used to tell me you used to go to the mosque? Hey, can I come with you? And you're like, bro, what happened to you? But you know what happened to them, right? You know what happened to them. Their heart's broken. Their heart's broken. And now they're looking for something more because they realize, man, this dunya is not it. At least for the time being, they realized. Right? May Allah protect us all, save us all from falling into that cycle of, you know, turning towards the divine until the next person comes along. May Allah save us. May Allah protect us from that cycle. Okay. But when a person reaches a point where they kind of realize, wait, I can't just keep living like this. Waking up in the morning and just living like pretty much like an animal, if not lower. I'm just doing what animals do. I wake up, what, we, what, what are we going to eat today? Like that's the concern, right? Where are we going today? Who am I going to talk to today? What time am I going to go to sleep today? What's for fun today? And that's what animals do. That's what animals do. And so there's no concern about anything greater. Do you get what I'm saying? When a person realizes that, and they snap out of it a little bit, and they're able to now begin to feed their spirit a little bit. Now what do you have? You have two competing forces within you. And a lot of us, I think, can relate to this idea. Where within you, you're going to have a part of you that really wants to improve and grow and, and be more spiritually inclined. But then there's a part of you that just finds sin or certain sins so enjoyable. And so you're torn back and forth between the different ways. Do you get what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm saying here? The idea of being pulled in different directions. That's why I like to describe human beings as just bundles of paradoxes. That's what we are. We're walking paradoxes. On one hand, we'll say what? We'll say, yo, I want to be pious. I want to be close to God. I want to fulfill the purpose of my life. I want to have a purposeful, meaningful life. And at the same time, we'll say what? Yeah, but I want to make a lot of money. It doesn't matter what, 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 it, it, doesn't matter what it takes. If I got to hustle, if I got to cheat people, whatever it takes. And I want, I, I want that person that's haram, you know, that's, that I'm not allowed to pursue, but I want them too. And it's confusing, right? Because you're like, wait, do I want to be good or do I want to be bad? It's like, I kind of want to be both. And we have this inner war. See, the, the, nefs, the nefs part of you wants to go towards all the evil. Because it still has strength. But then the spirit part of you says, no, there's, there's far more to life. Right? There's far more to life than, than all of that. And so then the human being is kind of stuck. And so when you disobey and you listen to your nafs, the spirit reminds you of your mistake. 
And this is known as al-nafsul lawama, the reproachful nafs. This is when you, you still have a conscience. You know when that part of you that tells you, man, like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Nobody else has to tell you. You know, right after you sin, you're like, man, what was I doing? That was such a foolish idea. Shouldn't have listened to him or her, right? Like, why was it? Bad idea. And within yourself, you have this reproach going on. That's because the spirit still has some life. And it's able to remind you that pursuing what your nafs wants is not the way forward. And so we, we kind of oscillate and we kind of go back and forth between this. And I think most of us are like that. Do you know, y'all know what I'm saying? The Prophet وسلم, in one hadith, he says, and this is a beautiful hadith. He says, Whenever your good deeds make you happy and your sins, they upset you, you should know that you're still a believer. You may not be perfect, man, but hey, if when you do good, you feel good. You're like, you know what? That felt good to pray Jumu'ah. It, it felt good to wake up for Fajr. It felt good to give that charity. It's a sign you still got faith in your heart. That when you sin and you disobey God, and you have that moment of guilt, you're like, man, that was a bad idea. It's a sign your heart's still alive. The question is, how can we keep our hearts alive? You know, surrounding ourselves with good company, frequenting the masjid, trying to maintain that supply of provisions for our spirit, for our ruh. The Qur'an then speaks, speaks of a higher level that your nafs gets to. النَّفْسُ الْمُطْمَئِنَّ This is the nafs that's serene and peaceful. This is when good deeds come to you easily. When good deeds come to you easily. Like, you don't even have a struggle. You ever seen people like that? A lot of people, if they work hard enough throughout their lives, when they get into old age, subhanAllah, you start to see this with them. We're not saying Fajr is like totally easy, but you have people who look forward to Fajr. They look forward to Tahajjud. I mean, how? If you have a nafs and the nafs, you know, desires to sleep, how do you desire to actually, and how do you look forward to Tahajjud? It's because the nafs is so weak and the spirit has become so strong over years and years of prayer and fasting and... um, and Qur'an, and dua, and just obedience. The spirit is so strong that it doesn't face any resistance. When the time comes to do good, it's like, that's so easy. You know, we just went for Umrah. Uh, I say just, but it's been like two months now, right? It's crazy. And subhanAllah, there was a lot of younger guys with us. like, And we were talking about how many Umrahs we want to do. Right? And some of us are like five and four. People are giving numbers, right? And I'm like, we'll see, bro. We'll see. Like, you, ever, you ever walked on those tiles? We'll see. We'll see what you got. Okay. We have one old man, mashallah, and, one, and his wife, the two of them. How many Umrahs did they do? Four? Five? I think mean, like four or five, right? Unless you remember? It was pretty much four or five. You know how hard that is? In, in like four or five days, by the way, like one every single day. And at least he's 70 years old, at least. At least 70 years old. 
I didn't do four or five, guys. I'll be honest with you. I didn't do four or five. I was like, yeah, you know? When some of the brothers pushed me a little hard, I was like, okay, I'll just do one with you. Otherwise, I was just like, relaxing, man. Allah, forgive me. Right? My nafs, unfortunately, man, is strong. This old man, subhanAllah. One is like, spiritually it's hard to do like umrahs, but one it's also physically hard. And, and so, when you start trying to physically do, you know, two or three umrahs, your nafs starts to cry out and go like, what's this? What are you putting me through? I just want to relax. I just want to go eat some good food and drink some good coffee. That's what the nafs tells you. This old man, in Mecca, Monday and Thursday, fasting. I'm like, brother. Monday and Thursday, in that heat, fasting. And then doing Umrah every single night. I said, subhanAllah. Physiologically, man, you can't, you can't. And we used to ask him, like, are you alright? I'm fine. I'm fine. I was like, bro, another level. Another level. We were traveling between Medina and Mecca. Look, we were already travelers. <coughs> Do you know when you're traveling, at least in the Hanafi school, you don't have to fast? You know that? Like when you're traveling? Like we're talking about Ramadan fast. This man, traveling between Medina and Mecca, optional fast. It wasn't Ramadan. We didn't go in Ramadan. Optional Monday, Thursday fast. He still didn't leave it. I said, bro, I don't even do it at home. My man is doing it, traveling. And not just traveling, the day of travel within our journey of travel. I said, mashallah. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? I have seen people who physically, if you look at them, you would say, physically, they don't look fit. And we're not trying to shame anybody. We're just talking about like physical health. They don't look like they could do an Umrah every day. I know one of my teachers, not known to be in the greatest shape, physically speaking. And he would do three Umrahs a day. In one day. Where does that come from? That is spiritual strength. When the spirit is so strong. Have you ever seen people read Quran for like hours and hours? Meanwhile, you and I, or at least I should speak for myself. Y'all are pious. But like me, you read, you read for like half an hour and then we're like, what? The bed looks pretty tempting, right? And, like, and you go lie down. You've you seen people read for hours. Where does that strength come from? It comes from the spirit. And that the nafs has been tamed. And now, obedience comes easy to them. May Allah give us tawfiq that we strive against our nafs so that we can weaken it. And that we can provide for our spirits so that we reach that level of a peaceful and serene spirit that is able to live a life in the obedience of Allah without resistance. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين جزاكم الله خير to everyone for coming out always a pleasure always an honor spending time together uh, desserts are at the back inshallah please help yourselves and make a friend before you leave inshallah all right السلام عليكم ورحمة الله ولكل وجهة هو موليها فاستبق الخيرات أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير